What the fuck's up? Oh. What the fuck's up? What the fuck's up? <laughs> Welcome to another fucking death metal. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> One cool and you're acting a fool. Yeah, I like that for you. I like. I wish I had uh, thirty of them. I'll put them down, dude. I don't care. Put them down. I don't put them down. I take another. I'm putting them down. You're gonna drink another one? I'm drinking one. Is that cool? No. Okay. That's fine. We're back. We're back in your asshole again. And if I could, I'll make a meal of your hog. And then we could have some gay sex. I'd be slurping up that cum. I'd be lapping up that jizz. I'll be drinking all of that big gasm. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Catatonics Youth Post going around right now. It's a compilation of all the best covers of that song. Fucking highly recommend you check that out. Oh, yeah. I like that Have shit. you seen it? Nope. Dude, it's really so. People are really... Oh, yeah. You can imagine the type of freaks. Yep. Oh, I used to go to Gotham like, dude, I know all about Kate Bush. I didn't know she was a gother. Hey, they love that shit. Fucking bing, bang, bing, boom, bing, bing, boom. If you're writing goth novels, you're a gother. Well, you're bing bong, dude. Bing. <laughs> you got that head tilt? Yeah, dude, I get <laughs> binged. That's been a pretty good damn week so far. Kinda. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kinda. It's been pretty good. Once I find out I can't go, yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to do the fucking Lindbergh, baby. That's some old bullshit. Hell yeah. How old? <laughs> <laughs> it's old as fuck, dude. Yeah, yeah. That kid would be like 400 years old by now. Yeah. Just one of those gay times in history, dude. Could you imagine being alive in the 30s? That would suck nuts, dude. That's just kid crushing time, dude. Yeah. Crunch. Crunch. And I'm sorry. We don't have any more bread. Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> Papa, can you buy me some groceries? Crunch. The Great Depression, man. Maybe that would be so cool if like, like Kellogg's, Captain Crunch is like, they named that cereal after that time period where they just crunched the kids. There's a, the grandpa was Captain Crunch. He's just crunching them up. My grandpa's like, I lived through the Great Depression. And I'm like, what was that? My teenage years. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee someone's done that horrible joke a billion times. Oh yeah. Yeah. I lived through the Great Depression too. <laughs> God, dude. I kinda miss going to open mics and just seeing people yeah. really go for it. I love man. The best is when someone's like so serious about it and does yeah. so bad, dude. My favorite setting for that. Where people are taking themselves seriously is the strip club, dude. Oh, like a serious stripper? No, like a serious patron. Go, a serious patron. Well, like, what do you go? Tell dude, me there's more. there's Let always me hear like about it. The, like yeah, it brings out the weirdest fucking people. But like, but yeah, you know that uh, like they think they're there to fuck. Yeah, huh? Like they really think like they're like they're gonna pick a stripper. Like they'll dress up and put on a fuckload of cologne. 
Yeah. And go. Aqua de Jiao. They go to the fucking, they go to a Valero and get a bunch of ones. Tommy Sport. Yeah. They get a Rhino XL while they're at it. Yep. Tommy figure jorts. Are you allowed to wear gym apparel to the strip club? Yeah, I don't think there's like really a, there's only dress code for bouncers. Because dude, if you rolled up in that motherfucker with just like athletic shorts on and no underwear. I'm, yeah, I mean, that's what people do. I might be able to catch one. Yeah. I mean, I, you, I might gas, dude. You could catch one without the pants. And some of them. Well, I don't want to do that. I just want to lap dance to completion. Yeah. Would they be bummed? No, they're whores. They'd like <laughs> it if you jizzed? Uh, some of them. I mean, you get, at the one I worked at, there was a whorehouse, basically. Well, yeah, but I'm saying, like, if you got, let's say you got the two-song deal. Fellas, 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 grab your ones and clap your guns. Time to head to the back and get you a snack. We got a two-foot, two-foot, two-foot coming up. Two Molly Crew songs back-to-back and a two-song special. $44, and they're all yours for two whole songs. Yep. No, I don't think they get bummed out. So you come? No, because, I mean, that's what you're there for. To come. I'm here to come. Can starts with a C. Come starts with a C. Talk into the mic. Come. Come. Cans. Cans. Come. Come. Combined. Cans. 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 (laughs) 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 I've been making fun of this fat bitch's face all week. All month. Yeah, no longer than that. You ever seen a lady so fucking fat? You get like the... Double chin that's so heavy they can't close their mouth at all. Yeah. And when they talk, it just fucking smacks that chin against it. Get like I was describing to Buddy, like, you know that thing where it's like four balls in a row, and you lift one of them up and it clacks, and then the force of that, it'll never stop clacking back and forth? Yeah. That's that. If you just flick your fucking bottom channel, just be like, <laughs> 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 you're talking about ordering barbecue. That was killing me, man. Can I get some barbecue big parts? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to go to Chili's and have some baby back ribs and buttermilk biscuits and baked beans. She really talks like that, too, man. I hate when they weigh a lot, man. Yeah. Get it under control. Yeah. That's weird if you're huge and into barbecue, man. Quit eating bread, you fat fuck. Yeah. I would put that as a sign. in a, Just open a restaurant and put signs up like that. No bread here. Fat fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Yuck. People would love it. Just put a mirror in the bathroom that says, yuck. <laughs> yeah. Yuckus. You. <Ew. laughs> All right, put man. Put it on the mirror. Would you look at yourself? Yuck. Yeah. You. You came out of the house like that? You yeah. fucking fuck. Dude, I wish we would have been able to wait tables at that Dick's Last Resort when we were oh, kids. Oh, man. Like, dude, what an unparalleled. Because I think you get to like, come up with them off the top of your head and just say whatever. Like, oh, yeah. you came out of the house with those tits? Yeah. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're my table this fuck. It's up. Like, oh, you sure you want some more bread? I mean, I know you want some more bread, but are you sure that you should get more bread? Are you going to go into an episode? We're going to have to... Shoot you up with insulin when you fucking hork on the floor. Hork. <laughs> Horking. I really can't stand type 2 diabetics, man. Yeah. Unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> you fat fuck. <laughs> God, dude. Uh, you eat yourself into a disease. Yeah. Quit. <laughs> Knock it off, man. <laughs> Stop it. 
Can you lose your dick? Where's your parents? No. Type two. Yeah, you can lose it all. (laughs) (laughs) People do all the time. Yeah. You got taken out by sugar. What a weak fucking way to go. God damn it. You can control it too. It's like, dude, quit munching frosted flakes. Quit. That shit's so gross, dude. They love it. I never liked a frosted flake. (laughs) They love it, dude. They love it. So why not? You know, I get it. (laughs) Captain Crunch. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Cut me up. But it gives you a receipt, you know, and just fucking cut your ass up. Yeah, man. Let you know you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> yeah, knock know? it off, you piece of shit. You go to brush your teeth and your teeth fucking hurt, you know? <laughs> you get hurt teeth, dude. <laughs> <laughs> people get, you know, you add some so sugary, it gives you a tooth pain right <laughs> off the bat, you know? <laughs> yes. The kids were talking about that the other day. They were like, man, I just ate something so sugary. It made my teeth hurt. And I was like, go brush your fucking teeth. Fuck, stop it. Yeah, Why'd you God eat damn. that? Fuck. Yeah. Uh, Slap it out of their hands, man. Father of the year. I'm not there. You just, they told you. But, yeah, it was the other father, not this one. They came home with the oh, shit. Yeah. I don't do that crap. What do they munch? Cotton candy? I don't fucking know, Cotton man. Cotton candy will get you. That will get your teeth a fucking... Quacking man, <laughs> they probably just munch straight up sugar over there, dude. Ugh. You ever do that when you're a kid? Dude, my yeah. little fucking fat ass went to a wedding one time. I was dipping ice cubes in sugar. Like I didn't even know about sugar. <laughs> I didn't even know like the, you know what I mean. Good. Yeah, and they just had like a bowl of sugar up for coffee and shit. So I would just get an ice cube and dip it in there. I like, remember oh, it's like ice cream. Pouring a cup of sugar in my oatmeal. <laughs> fucking. Like thinking, oh, I'm going to be an adult and drink coffee. You just put a cup of sugar in my coffee. Oh, yeah. For sure. Bullshit, man. Yeah. Dipping cookies in it. <laughs> like those fucking, what are those uh, Milano's, man? That's, that was a tr- that's church behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found out that when I was a little kid, I, I like there was uh, the church had like three levels. Yeah. And like the kids' Sunday school was on the second floor. The adult Sunday school was on the third floor. Well, I figured out when you go up there, they had donuts and coffee. Yeah. <laughs> they, I'll tell you, they didn't have donuts. Yeah, they ain't that for long. <laughs> I plowed them. Same shit, dude. You know what I, I did? Em. We had like this kind of like a mega church, man. Yeah. We had a whole kitchen, dude. Yeah. I would act like I was going to go upstairs. Sure. And I would go straight to the kitchen because nobody would be in there on Sundays, like oh, Sunday yeah. mornings and shit. Dude, I would raid that kitchen. I would, f- dude, Brian used to go with me, man. We used to fuck <laughs> that shit up, man. Dude, dude fucking... I would do shit like that, too, if they, if they, like, they had potlucks all the time. Yeah. So they would have it all spread out, like ready to rock for when church got out, dude. And so, like, all the older women would go downstairs and set that shit up, dude, and I would just... They made me sit in the balcony at church. I wasn't allowed to not go to church, but I was too bad to sit in the regular church because I would just lose my shit. And once you start laughing in church, dude, you ain't stopping. Oh, well, here's a good one. Fucking uh, around the time of Christmas, they do a Christmas play, and they had this field, man. Is it the Christmas cantata? I don't know what it's called. <laughs> but my grandpa would be the security guy for the week. What? Right? That he would put his camper trailer out there and just go check on Oh, yeah. What? So I back, he stayed out there. Yeah, he stayed out there. But so every Wednesday, like slept there. Yeah, why? Because he thought somebody was gonna come fuck with it, right? That's so, real cop shit, dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna stay there for a whole week. I'm, already, I'm not gonna drive three blocks back to my house. We'll not be, getting paid for it, you know. Sure. Of course. Uh, but uh, you live three blocks away from the church. But dude, one time I I fucking was like, I'm gonna go out there and search by myself, you know. And I just went out there to go smoke one, dude. I was fucking a hooter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then I was like. Came back and he goes, smell, smell something out there. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't 
see nothing here. You go, somebody was smoking marijuana out here, and he was like, called the cops and shit. Dude, I was freaking the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. We're all smell like, smell like marijuana. But yeah, so uh, they'd do a potluck, dude, and they would set it all up. It'd be all covered in saran wrap and shit, bro. Yeah. I was confined to the balcony. I would slip out of that motherfucker and go down, dude, and just like get a spoon. Oh, it, oh and yeah. just fucking plow into that shit. Yeah, and no one would be any the wiser. They just go down there and be like, "Well, someone's been in here." <laughs> yeah, they knew who it was. You know what I fuck with at church heavily, dude? Is an ambrosia salad. Oh, the marshmallow. Uh, yeah, yeah, fruit and shit. That's yeah. the only way I'll fuck with Jello is if it is turned into like that pink. Yeah. Salad. Yeah. Shit. It's weird. It's called a salad. I don't like that. No. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> Cool Whip and Jello yeah. and nuts and fruit. Yeah, that shit's. Yeah, it's banging, dude. Yeah, it's good as fuck. Banging, That hurt your teeth. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I used to do that too, man. We fucking... Uh, <laughs> one time, man, one time they fucking got a bunch of pizzas for the youth group. Yeah. And I had skipped because I was out smoking weed. Yeah. And I came up and I fucking got a whole pizza, dude, and went back out in the pasture and smashed a whole pizza, man. And yeah. then, like, they were doing the count and they didn't have enough for everybody. Cause like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good time, man. I worked at MCI when I was uh, 15. Dude, MCI went defunct when I worked there. It was crazy. What is MCI? It was like a phone company, like AT&T. Okay. So we would be just cold calling people like, hey, how's your uh, long distance service? Are you getting a good rate? That's how fucking old I am. But I was like straight up 15. Like I had worked at two restaurant jobs. Then my friend Phil got that job and was like, dude, this is the easiest shit ever. So go working over there. And uh, one day they had a pizza party. And like these two fucking dorks snagged a pizza and the guy was holding it like a rate, like, you know, like a pizza guy in a cartoon, like on top of his hand, like a fucking waitress with a cup full of a tray full of cups. Yeah. I just grabbed it off of his hand and me and Phil went the other way and ate the whole thing. Yeah. And then uh, dude, that what's crazy is that uh, we were working there and the whole company shut down. And they're like, everyone's getting laid off. You'll get your final checks in the mail. And we were just like, we need it now. And they're like, well, we can't do that. You'll get it in the mail. And I got, dude, what was sick is that like, I was probably going to get like a $200 check. And like two years later, out of nowhere, I got like a $1,000 check in the mail. Yeah. It fucking rocked. But I was so mad that day. I went straight to the nice bathrooms and took a shit right in the middle of the floor. Nice. And someone was like, you're fucking over the janitor, not the company. I was like, yeah, but he's going to tell somebody about it. So they'll know. Somebody shit in here. Yeah. Then I also worked at a call center here in Hot Springs. Mm-hmm. And you people did some shit tricks in there, too. Pissed all over the goddamn toilets all the time. So, I mean, this is a, like classic bathroom behavior for me. Yeah. Is that there's piss on the seat and I have to take a shit. First of all, I'll piss all over that piss to kind of sterilize it. Yeah. But I'll roll in there with like a handful of paper towels and clean it up. Well, <laughs> they had a whole janitorial staff, which is like, why are the toilets soaked in piss anyway? So I clean it off and then throw them on the ground. And I had done that for forever. And then they, they like zeroed in. They knew it was me. And they like pulled our group aside and was like, somebody has been wiping and throwing it in the floor. And we know exactly who it is. We've got it. We watched the cameras. We've got it narrowed down. And I was like, you don't have to try to use intimidation tactics. It was me. You guys are janitorial staff. And they're like, yeah. I was like, why are you cleaning the piss off the toilets? Because I shouldn't have to do it myself and turn the tables on them real quick. Yeah. I was like, it's not shit. It's me taking paper towels in there and cleaning the piss off the toilet and throwing yeah. them on the ground so I can shit without having someone else's piss all over my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah. I was thinking of another one, too, man. There used to be a spot in the mall called Pizza 2000. Yeah. And they'd been around since I was a kid. Sure. And so my- <laughs> Before 2000. <laughs> so my game... 
plan was to go in there because usually the guy wouldn't be like right up front. He was always in the back. I would just go in there and I put my finger like where the where he had taken a slice, put my <laughs> finger on there and spin it to, so that the fucking serving thing would come over to me and I'd put that motherfucker in my hand and walk around pizza. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Good one. Yeah. I did all kinds of cool shit at the mall. Yeah. Uh, I had a Silver Dollar City season pass when I was a little kid. I didn't even know about stealing and I saw a kid steal a yo-yo. I like ran him down and I was like, could you just take that? They don't charge you anything. And he was like, like an older kid. He was like, well, if you just put shit in your pocket, no one will see you do it. You're a kid. Uh, and yeah. I was like, you could just do that. And he was like, man, you could do anything you want to. <laughs> I lit up. So I lit him up, bro. Yeah. Like rock candy, uh, jawbreakers. Taffies. Yeah, you should just walk in the store, man, and just slam chocolate milk, and eat fucking Twinkies, and leave. Sure. Yeah. Stealing when you're a kid is fucking yeah, sick, not, like, bro. People think you're going to do it, you know, but then they're also like, fuck, I don't want to deal with this shit. Yeah. They don't got any money. Like, Yeah. I would yoink stuff, bro. Yep. Trink, all, every trinket available. I took a whole pizza from Pizza Pro, too, one time, and they just had one sitting up on the thing, and they were in the back. I was snatched snatch that shit. My favorite move of yours like that of all time was we were hammered. There's a bar in Little Rock called Midtown. It's like a legendary place for you to get fucking hammered, and they have good ass burgers. And you would just perch. So like, the, their whole system is like, you order food, you tell them your name. It's a loud ass bar. They put your food down with your ticket and yell your name or the number on your ticket, and you're supposed to go pick it up, dude. And you would just grab shit. Yeah. If they would put it down, you would just snag it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got everybody food that night. Yeah, man. It's on the house. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's on me, but it's on the house. That's also where I like. I didn't like your wife before, but that's where I knew for sure. I fucking yeah. hated her. Not your current wife, but your ex-wife. Yeah, yeah. She fucking threw a fit about you ordering a cheeseburger. Yeah, because she quote unquote had anorexia. She lost a bunch of weight. Yeah, and then of course the very next time, like I was like, I'll never deal with this bitch again, and I didn't see her for years. And the next time I saw her, she was fat as fuck. Yeah, like my wife was having some barbecue thing at the lake and. Of course, invited her, unbeknownst to me. So I'm out in the lake with my kids, having a great time. Why do women do that shit? And then here she comes <laughs> plopping up. Dude, I'm telling you, like, uh, a fucking uh, bright gold one-piece bikini. Mm -hmm. Cheeks out, like cottage cheese extreme. Plopping on down, wading through the water. Comes right up to my kids. He's like, hey, Swain. Hey, Gracie. And I was like, hey, cheeseburgers and hot dogs are over there. Crushed. Yep. Now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she might be dating Jerry. Yeah, Gerald P. Gardner. Well, you know, I wish her the best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he punishes himself, dude. Yeah, he does. You ever, uh, you know, he's the, like, man, I really like my friends. How do I not do that? You know, <laughs> you know, in the Da Vinci Code, yeah, where there's that weird fucking albino monk, yeah, that flogs himself. Yeah, that's what Jerry does with women. Yeah, dude. yeah, yeah. He's like, sure, I'm getting pussy for now, but in the meantime, let me flog myself for it. Yeah, man. I mean, there, like, there's just a certain point where you, you where you're like, I'll do anything to fuck, and then you get past that point, and you should stop. Or you're just like, there's, I'll do anything for pussy. You get past that point. You're supposed to be past that point. Jerry's not past that point. He's like 50. Yeah. I love him. I love <laughs> yeah, him, me man. too. Love him to death. I pray for him all the time. Yeah. I'm sure everyone out there has got a friend that just picks the worst partners. Yeah. 
Dude, he had a girlfriend that just pissed in his floor a couple times. Like, for fun? Like, like a hammer to just pull him down and pissed. Man, I mean, that's not that bad. That's pretty cool. You like that? I would like to be under it. <laughs> <laughs> would you let a lady fucking take a piss? In my mouth? No, just all over you. No, nah, it'd have to be in my mouth, man. How did you make that? Just, like, you would rather it in your mouth? I don't want it on. I want to get waterboarded with it, dude. Yeah? Like a like a, a white t-shirt tied around my head. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, it's pee, but it's out of a pussy, so it's like, got to taste good. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's cool that it's coming from a pussy. Dude, a cum pee would be the worst, dude. Like, you bust one in them, and then they pee your cum in your mouth. Yeah. I mean, your cum doesn't go in there, your urethra. I know, but they got to push it out. It just slides out, yeah. Yeah, but they're pushing it out with pee. Sure. That's a... That's got to <laughs> be out there, dude. People love that. There's yeah. somebody that loves that. Yeah, there's guys that slurp their own load. It's like eating an oyster. But a little bit moister. Yeah. I don't like raw oysters, man. Let's do this Lindbergh baby shit, bro. <laughs> Speaking of oysters. Charles yeah. Augustus Lindbergh was a 20-month-year-old son of the famous aviator and Anne Morrow... Lindbergh, he was captured at 9 p.m. on March 1st, 1932 from the nursery on the second floor of the Lindbergh home near Hopswell, Hopewell, New Jersey. The child's absence was discovered and reported to his parents, who were then at home at approximately 10 p.m. by the child's nurse, Betty Gow. Gow. You fucking sow. I got a cool buzz, man. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. What's like- always... Yeah, I mean, like, this is probably right where I need to be. A search of the premises was immediately made, and a ransom note demanding $50,000 was found on the nursery windowsill. After the Hopewell police were notified, the report was telephoned to New Jersey State Police, who assumed charge of the investigation. During the search at the kidnapping scene, traces of mud were found on the floor of the nursery. Footprints, impossible to measure, were found under the nursery window. Two sections of the ladder had been used in reaching the window. One of the two sections was split or broken, where if it joined with the other, where it joined with the other, indicating the ladder had broken during the ascent or descent. There was no blood stains in or about the nursery, nor were there any fingerprints. Household and estate employees were questioned and investigated. Colonel Lindbergh asked friends to communicate with the kidnappers and they made widespread appeals to the kidnappers to start negotiations. Various underworld characters were dealt with in attempts to contact the kidnappers and numerous clues were advanced and then exhausted. Exhausted. A ransom note was received by Colonel Lindbergh on March 6, 1932, postmarked from Brooklyn, New York, New York on March 4th in which the ransom demand was increased to $70,000. I don't know why it says that. Oh yeah. 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 So from 50 to 70, that's a big fucking hike. And dude, this is the great depression. No, yeah, that baby they ate that baby, man. Yeah. That baby got eight. Yeah. Y'all are probably hungry as shit trying to get 70 K, but 70 K back then is like, you know, 10 million right now. Yeah. That's a fuckload of money. A police conference was then called by the governor at Trenton, New Jersey, which was attended by prosecuting officials, police authorities, and government representatives. Various theories and police procedures were discussed. 
Private investigators were also employed by Colonel Lindbergh's attorney, Colonel Henry Breckenridge. The third ransom note was received by Colonel Lindbergh's attorney on March 8th, informing that an intermediary appointed by the Lindberghs would not be accepted requesting a note in the newspaper. On the same date, Dr. John F. Condon from Bronx, New York, a retired homeschool principal. What the fuck is a homeschool principal? You just have your kids and you're like, now. Your dad is a teacher. I'm the principal. I spank your dad and I will spank you. Damn. Published in the Bronx Home News and offered to act as a go-between and pay an additional $1,000 ransom. The following day, the fourth ransom note was received by Dr. Condon, which indicated he would be an acceptable go-between. This was approved by Colonel Lindbergh. About March 10th, 1932, Dr. Condon received $70,000 in cash as ransom and immediately started negotiating for payment through newspaper columns using the code name Jaffsey. Wow. And that's one of those things, too, where you're just like, if I could have one different name, what would it be? I'm tired of having a dumbass name like John. It's boring. Everyone's John. Mm -hmm. How about... Come down, head. Joffsy. Giraffe. Jeff. Jeffsy. Giraffsy. Jeff the Giraffe is from Toys R Us. Hey, it's also from this. Yeah. About 8.30 p.m. on March 12th, after receiving an anonymous telephone call, Dr. Condon received the fifth ransom note delivered by Joseph Peroni, a taxicab driver, who received it from an unidentified stranger. The message stated that another note would be found beneath a stone at a vacant stand 100 feet from an outlying subway station. This note, the sixth, was found by Condon. As indicated, following instructions therein, the doctor met an unidentified man who called himself John, which, you know, if you're coming up with fake names, why not go with Joffsy? Yeah. Why John? At Woodlawn Cemetery near 233rd Street and Jerome Avenue. They discussed payment of the ransom money. The stranger agreed to furnish a token of the child's identity. Condon was accompanied by a bodyguard, except while talking to John. During the next few days, Dr. Condon repeated his advertisements, urging further contact and stating his willingness to play the ransom. A baby's sleeping suit as a token of identity and a seventh ransom note were received by Dr. Condon on March 16th. The suit was delivered to Colonel Lindbergh and later identified Condon continued his advertisements. The eighth ransom note was received by Condon on March 21st in f first insisting on complete compliance and advising that the kidnapping had been planned for over a year. On March 29th, Betty Gow, the Lindbergh nurse, found the infant's thumb guard worn at the time of kidnapping near the entrance of the estate. The following day, the ninth ransom note was received by Condon, threatened to increase the demand to $100,000 and refusing a code for use in newspaper columns. The tenth ransom note received by Dr. Condon on April 1st, 1932, instructed him to have the money ready the following night, to which Condon replied by an ad in the press. 
The 11th note was delivered to Condon on April 2nd, 1932 by an unidentified taxi driver who said he received it from an unknown man. Dr. Condon found the 12th ransom note under a stone in front of a greenhouse at 3225 East Tremont Avenue, Bronx, New York, as instructed in the 11th note. Shortly thereafter, on the same evening, by following the instructions contained in the 12th note, Condon again met whom he believed to be John to reduce the demand to $50,000. This amount was handed to the stranger in exchange for a receipt and the 13th note containing instructions to the effect that the kidnapped child could be found on a boat named Nellie near Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. The stranger then walked north into the park woods. The following day, an unsuccessful search for the baby was made near Martha's Vineyard. The search was later repeated. Dr. Condon was positive that he would recognize John if he ever saw him again. On May 12, 1932, the body of the kidnapped baby was accidentally found, partially buried, and badly decomposed about four and a half miles southeast of the Lindbergh home, 45 feet from the highway near Mount Rose, New Jersey, in Mercer County. The discovery was made by William Allen, an assistant on a truck driven by Orville Wilson. The head was fucking crushed. There was a hole in the skull and some of the body members were missing. The body was positively identified and cremated at Trenton, New Jersey on May 13, 1932. The coroner's examination showed that the child had been dead for about two months and the death was caused by a blow to the head. God damn. They got the softest heads, man. Yeah. Dude, I had a dream one time. Oh, no. That we were wrestling, and our gimmick was just pushing in soft spots. Whoa. That might be. Like, like babies in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, like if there's a baby out there, we fucking mash the soft spot. Oh, man. Crunched it. I had a crazy dream the other day, too, that our friend Mark's brother, Tom, and me lived in an apartment together. Oh, wow. And I had to go to Mark and be like, I don't want to kick your brother's ass, but he's been wearing my fucking shoes, man. And he would probably do that. And he was like, you got to talk to him about it. So I went to Tom and I was like, you've been wearing my damn shoes. And he was like, yeah, whenever I want to. And I was like, well. <laughs> <laughs> man, dreams are so weird. Dude. I know. It makes no sense. Yeah. And I had like three boxes of different sneakers. I always get fired up in my dreams, man. I get fired the fuck up. <laughs> like horned? Both. Physically, like, physically ready to scrap? Ready to scrap and ready to fuck. I always wake up with a boner and ready to fight. It's weird. <laughs> I get boned every night, man. Oh, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Usually I have to wake up at like 5 o'clock in the morning to piss, and I'm rock fucking hard. Yeah. I got to straddle the toilet, put my hand on the wall, and try to point that thing. Yeah. You stand real wide. Yeah. yeah. Of course. And bend at the knees a little yeah, bit. Yeah, man. So you can hunt your ass back. <laughs> yeah. So you can hit it just right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's a technique. <laughs> yeah, I like to fucking do the same thing, man. I don't like the uh I don't like pissing in the shower. There's some people that pee in the shower. Uh, I don't mind to piss in the shower at all. What type of weird shit do you have going on? I like to I like to I like to hear it hit water, man. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I like to hear it hit. That's fucking weird. Yeah. You don't pee in the shower because you want to hear it going to the Oh, toilet. I'll pee in the shower, but I got to be taking a shower. Well, yeah. But I don't You mean even... people pee in the shower without taking a shower? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Some people do that. They just piss right into their shower. Yeah, because they, they're boner. 
Huh? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's wild. That's wild. Just peeing in the shower. I know some motherfuckers that do that. I've done it with my wife's peeing before. Yeah. Well, my wife will be peeing in the shower. I'll start peeing in the shower. And we'll mix our peas together. Sure. I love it. You thought that was going to be like, no, 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 no. (laughs) You paused for a long time. I mean, it is a hit. I feel like a lot of people. Like for an applause break or something? No, man. That's what you do. You paused. I didn't applause. Like you want to stand in ovation. No, man. I just like what everybody else does. I feel like everybody does that. You remember the first time you peed on a girl in the shower? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And they cried. What? Can you guess who it was? <laughs> Are they dating Jerry now? <laughs> Why would they cry? Yeah, you know, it was a shower, dude. Yeah, it's a two for one. Yeah, I remember peeing on my first girlfriend in the shower all the time, and then I would charge it up and try to hit face. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's fun. Hitting face is cool. Dude. Yeah, hitting face rules, dude. Yeah. Especially when they're in the best part is when they're washing their hair out and they have their face like out so it's not the one yeah, <laughs> you try yeah. to charge up, dude. Yeah, yeah. Face, bro. Yeah. Because they'll grab their soapy ass hands and rub them in their eye. Remember That's when a, you were a kid and you could just like start peeing and pinch it and fucking do a man kegel so hard you could shit piss like 30 feet? Yeah, but I always <laughs> like, man, I don't I really, think I fucked my shit up doing stuff like that. I've always had a real like. Uh, not super powerful pee stream. Once I started jacking off, dude, and my pee stream went away. Like super, like I had, I used to have a, yeah. a fucking real. Ryan's high. stream is crazy. Man, <laughs> I know because like they were making fun of my stream because we were all outside pissing one time when we were kids, and they're like, "Look at this stream." I was like, "Man, cold rush, dude." Like <laughs> <laughs> Brian pee is so hard. Oh yeah, man, that's crazy. He was across the house. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like jets, dude. Yeah, man. You got fucking fuel cells in there? Yeah. Yeah. He's a nuclear pisser. Let's get back to this crunchy ass baby. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On March 2nd, 1932, after a conference with the Attorney General, FBI Director, known trans J. Edgar Hoover, had contacted the headquarters of the New Jersey State Police at Trenton, New Jersey. He officially informed the organization that the U.S. Department of Justice would afford... Colonel H. Norman Schwarzkopf. Dude, I didn't know the Schwartz was in on this. Damn. Storm and Norman? Dude, Storm and Norman and Jay Edgar together? Hey. Wow. Maybe more ways than one. I bet they were, dude. I bet fucking Jay Edgar put a corset on and Storm and Norman ran through that, dude. Just yeah, busted dude, cheeks apart, it. bro. Tore those cheeks Pretty up, tough dude. motherfucker, man. Schwarzkopf tore cheeks up, dude. Yeah, he tore a lot of shit up, dude. Countries, fucking butts. I remember being a little ass kid and seeing Storm and Norman on the news. Yeah. Fucking mad as hell at Dune Coons. (laughs) (laughs) Remember that one? Yeah. God, that's a rough one, isn't it? Yeah, it's rough, dude. Yeah, that's wild. I remember hearing like an old guy say that and being like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, man. I never even heard coon as a slur before. And I heard that, and I just had to ask for an explanation and was like, Jesus fucking Christ, I dude. still don't really get it, but whatever. You don't get it? Yeah, I want you to explain it to me. <laughs> no, 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 no. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. You know how 
sometimes <laughs> you'll put your trash out on the curb and then find it all over the ground. Yeah. You're like, who the fuck tears up a trash can? Yeah. Well, a lot of them got smuggled over here on a ship called the Amistad. Oh, man. Fuck. <laughs> <sighs> you were worried about people at our job hearing this? oh man yeah i honestly don't know why coon's a slur i don't get it i don't either man this is a they're like they're they're like like, there's no human being that's striped yeah raccoons are smart as fuck yeah they're smart as hell they're crafty they get into everything i used to i used to fucking like give them fries and shit at work because they'd be sitting at the dumpster and shit and i just walk over there and give them fries yeah they're they're not loud they don't have fat asses but the problem is when you start feeding them in, they like, get up in your cars and shit. So anytime, see, so many oh, people, so they'll carjack you. That's why. Yeah. Well, they'll fucking like, <laughs> <laughs> they'll fucking get up in there and start chewing on the wires and shit. And what? so, yeah. So like it, on our work car, when you pop the hood, you know, there's a fucking wooden snake in there because that freaks them out. So they won't go around it. So oh, they were rolling in there. Yeah. Cause like when they were checking, they're like, dude, you got raccoons at your job. I was like, yeah, I feed them every once in a while. And they're like, don't do that. I'm fucking with your car, and I was like, "Oh, for real?" And they're like, hey, "You got one of those snakes in there, Chuck?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he came out and he fucking zip tied the fucking snake to it, dude. So it I've never seen the snake. I'll show it to you. Who's Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> the guy works at the shop, man. Is he a dune? <laughs> <laughs> works at the shop. Dude, the most heinous slur for Middle Easterners I ever heard. This was like a viral, like one of the first fucking YouTube things. It was some type of prank call. Where it was like, this dude would call someone's house and be like, this is Kerstep. I come to your house and I kick your dog. Yeah. Abdar. Abdar. Hello, this is Abdar. I come to your house and I kick your dog. What the fuck you going to do about it? And just like, witness, you know, of course the guy would freak out and be like, nobody kicked my dog. He's like, yes, I did. I come to your fucking house and I kick your fucking dog. <laughs> and he's like, what is your name? He's like, Ab. Dar. So my friend Phil, he's half black, half white, but he looked Abdard. Yeah. So I would always call him an Abdar. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's the worst slur I've ever used before. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You uh, fucking Abdar. <laughs> I wonder how Pertip is doing. <laughs> Pertip, that was sick, dude. Yeah. We had we were staying at a hotel in St. Louis one time. First of all, this dude had Finding Nemo ear. He had one regular chewed, ear and one wild. tiny fucking ear. It wasn't even chewed, dude. No. It was a normal ass ear, but it was, but it was like a baby's ear. Yeah, it was weird. Well, a regular ear and a baby ear. So just like Nemo, he was deformed. But he was a fucking asshole. So all this is warranted, just so you know. Like, we got to the hotel. He's like, check it, it's not until three. And we just took our shirts off and sat down, and all of a sudden he had a room for us. And then he gave us guff for something else the next day. And you're like, hey, what's up, Kerstep? And he goes, no. Ish Kerstip. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dude, you nailed it. Yeah, I thought his name was Kerstip because I saw his. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you saw, I his, saw tag, his tag, dude. <laughs> I, didn't know you saw I saw his, his tag. tag. I thought you just said called him Kerstip as like a slur, and then he just said, no, it's Kerstip. Yeah, yeah, he lost it. He was fuming, dude. Yeah. He ended up booting us out of our room. They booted us out of that damn hotel. We just went to someone else's room. Yeah, and then got even wilder. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, happened so, that's happened so many times. Man, you're out of here. All right, cool, man. We'll see you. Then we just find the person who like does not want us in their room and stay in their room, make it, make them deal with it. Fuck, man, y'all can't do that. And you're like, yeah, we have to, man. <laughs> this is this is what we do. The way that it is, my greatest experience is we're in this hotel in Hawaii, 
the tourist hotels, there's like four twin beds as opposed to two queen beds. So I just had this fucking twin bed. I got there, uh, free drinks at the hotel. So I plowed through my ties and I don't normally drink sugar drinks. I probably, I did. I would guess I drank 20 of them. Yeah, probably. And then I drank on the plane, dude, the plane to Hawaii. They give you free drinks. Yeah, they, give you free drinks. Uh, they give you one, but I was like rounding them up like people who didn't want their drink. Yeah. 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 And then I was begging them for more drinks and they were hitting me with them. And I was just lit. I was lit up from like 10 in the morning till two in the morning. Yeah. And then I went and passed out, dude. And I fucking, everyone's asleep in the room and I just am blacked out. I don't remember it at all, but I'm just yarfing all over the floor. Someone tries to bring me a trash can. And then one of the dudes in the room is like, what the fuck's going on? And our buddy is like, man, he's just like this. <laughs> You're <gonna have> to <laughs> yeah. learn to deal with it. Yeah, I remember that. That was a pretty good time. I remember we were about to. I just put a $20 bill in the puke, dude. That was the only thing I could think of because, like, I'm not cleaning it up. I felt bad for them, so. I remember uh, fucking uh, our buddy Matt Secor, he's fucking on the plane. And they're like, sir, could you please sit down? He's like talking to me. He's like, oh, we were about to make out. She's like, please sit down. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's laughing, dude, but everybody thought we were really gay. We rocked. Yeah. Yeah. The greatest move we ever did at that. I think I might have said this last week. I can't remember. But we were wearing like our vests and shit. We're going to do our live podcast. So we're yeah. looking real cool. Yeah. We go into Big Red Gas Station. This lady goes, now, I know you guys are in some band. And I go, nah, we're just faggots. Yeah. <laughs> she was blown. Yeah. Out the frame. Like, yeah, she wanted to talk about it, though. She was like, well, we've been together. <laughs> Six years. Yeah. Sucking well, and fucking. Sucking away. That's a lot of cum, man. I feel like, dude. Yeah. Back to Storm and Norman, dude. We've been drinking, dude. This is how podcasts used to be for us, man. I, I think know. people liked it more. We just get fucking tanked. Yeah, I'm not tanked, but I'm feeling yeah, good. Yeah, I'm you know? not tanked, but I'm feeling great. Yeah, I had a cool one. We got a drink when we do podcasts, bro. Yeah. It's necessary. It's, I mean, partying's necessary. We're I just know back, my tolerance is... We're back. I, I just wish people I, want to see it, dude. Yeah, I just wish I didn't live so far away. Now that we're here, so doesn't. far away. I guess it doesn't matter because I was like five minutes from my house when I got a DUI. So yeah, fuck it. All the way from two hours away <laughs> well, to that was five minutes fault. from my. Could have stayed there. Yeah, could have. Then we would be normal. <laughs> <laughs> I wish y'all could have seen his damn face. Uh, All right, back to Storm and Norman, dude. I'm just taking it back. I can't believe it that the guy that said Dune Coon on TV. Yeah. Is somehow tied up into this. He was a superintendent of the New Jersey State Police at the time. I wonder, it's probably not even the same guy. Who? The, could, could there be two? Schwarzkopf's? Norman Schwarzkopf's? No, dude. This had to be his son. Because, dude, Stormer Norman wasn't, he, he wasn't that old. He wasn't an adult in the 30s. Because he did, like, Operation Desert Storm. He yeah, was but like he, was like, that. he was like 50 when that was going on. Yeah, but then if he was 50, then he would have been born in the 30s. So maybe uh, he was junior? Yeah, yeah, maybe he was junior, man. I got to find out. Hey. He is the superintendent of the New Jersey State Police, the assistance and cooperation of the FBI in bringing about the apprehension of the parties responsible for the kidnapping. He advised the New Jersey State Police that they could call upon the Bureau for any facilities or resources with the latter might be capable of ex- extending. <clears throat> the special agent in charge of the New York City office of the Bureau 
which at that time covered the New Jersey district, was instructed accordingly and upon instructions from the director, the special agent in charge communicated with the New Jersey State Police and the New York City Police, offering any assistance which the Bureau might be able to lend in this matter. During the next few weeks, the Bureau was acting merely in an auxiliary capacity. There was no federal jurisdiction. However, on May 13, 1932, the President directed that all governmental investigative agencies should place themselves at the disposal of the state of New Jersey and that the FBI should serve as a clearinghouse and coordinating agency for all investigations in this case conducted by federal investigative units. On May 13th, 23rd, (laughs) wow. On May 23rd, 1932, the FBI in New York City informed banks in greater New York that the Bureau was coordinating the coordinating agency for all governmental activity in the case. A close watch for ransom money was requested. The New Jersey State Police announced on May 26, 1932, the offer of a reward not to exceed $25,000 for information resulting in the apprehension and conviction of the kidnapper or kidnappers. In compliance with a request made by Colonel Schwarzkopf, copies of this notice of reward were forwarded by the FBI to all law enforcement officials and agencies through the United States. On June 10, 1932, Violet Sharp, a waitress in the home of Mrs. Lindbergh's mother, Mrs. Dwight Morrow, who had been under investigation by the authorities, committed suicide by swallowing poison when she was about to be re-questioned. However, her movements on the night of March 1st, 1932 had been carefully checked, and it was soon definitively ascertained that she had no connection to the abduction. So they, look, here's the thing too, is like, in the 1930s, Great Depression, everybody hated rich people. So if you're a waitress to a rich old lady, you're a slave. Mm-hmm. So you probably just wanted to blast yourself on premises oh, so they yeah. knew. What Everything was... sucked anyways. Everybody, thought, everybody probably thought she did it. And they're being mean as fuck to her. You got to make a deal with it. Yeah. Clean it up, stupid. Killing yourself is a sick type of fucking revenge, dude. Yeah. Like making people clean up your guts. Yeah. That'll show them. Yeah, I mean... Like, what would be... You ever, you know, you ever wake up in the middle of the night and your dog's dropped a fucking load and a whiz on the floor? Yeah. What's worse than that? Mm, shit, piss, guts. Yeah, cleaning uh, up suicide. Brains. But just, so, you know how fuming you are if you yeah. step on a turd? I mean, like, what would be the ultimate way, man? Because there's got to be something real wild, like... Would get that fucking fluid from Who Framed Roger Rabbit and pour it on yourself. Yeah. You just melt. Like you, you really plan it out and like uh put different sized butt plugs in your ass and then shove a grenade up there and pull the thing and just fucking <laughs> <laughs> blow your whole apart. Blow every, your whole body apart, dude, everywhere. In September nineteen thirty three, President Franklin D. Roosevelt stated in a meeting with Director Hoover that all work on the case be centralized in the Department of Justice. It's so crazy to have the president involved in a crime, but that's what money did back then, because no one had any. He requested the director to convey his views to the Attorney General Cummings, 
with a suggestion that the Attorney General make a request of the Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service, either through the President or directly, for a detailed report of all work performed by the IRS Intelligence Unit. On October 19, 1933, it was officially announced that the FBI would have exclusive jurisdiction insofar as the federal government was concerned in handling of any investigation features to the case. The President's proclamation requiring the return to the Treasury of all gold and gold certificates was a valuable aid in the case, insomuch as $40,000 of the ransom money had been paid in gold certificates, and at the time of proclamation, a large portion of this money was known to be outstanding. Therefore, this phase of the investigation was emphasized, which basically it's like, in those days, a gold certificate was like a credit card. Yeah. Like, you had X amount of gold in the bank, so you were taking credit out on it. And so that's how you could track down to see who cashed in on that. Sure. But nobody had yet. So they're just letting 40000 sit. So what they're trying to do is see who goes to a bank and pulls that forty k out. Which, dude, it would be so easy to get away with anything back then. Yeah, dude. You just it, use a fake name. Just getting shootouts. Yeah. And you just, get away with it. Just move three towns over. Yeah. What are they going to do? Is your name David? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck? On January 17th, 1934... A circular letter was issued by the New York City Bureau Office to all banks and their branches in New York City requiring an extremely close watch for the ransom certificates. And in February 1934, all Bureau offices were supplied with copies of the Bureau's revised pamphlet containing the serial numbers on the ransom bills. The New York City Bureau Office distributed copies of this pamphlet to each employee handling currency in banks, clearinghouses, grocery stores, and in certain selected communities, insurance companies, gasoline filling stations, airports, department stores, post office, and telegraph companies. Following the distribution of these booklets containing the serial number of the ransom currency, there were also prepared and similarly distributed by the Bureau currency key cards in convenient form set forth the inclusive serial numbers of all the ransom notes which had been paid. This was followed by frequent personnel contacts with bank officials and with individual employees in an effort to keep alive their interest. Prior to this time, the passing of ransom bills had been reported to either the FBI, the New Jersey State Police, or the New York City Police Department, none of which had complete information at this point. Therefore, arrangements were effectively whereby investigation of all such ransom bills detected in the future could be immediately conducted jointly by representatives of three interested agencies. So they're just trying to track the money down and say, hey, it was spent here, so the person who kidnapped this kid's got to be in this area, so here's where we need to look. And then hopefully, but like, dude, nobody that is, uh, like, dude, if you're in the Great Depression and you're working at a store, that's a great job to have, for one. Yeah. But for two, you're not going to get a fucking $20 bill and look at the serial numbers and be like, that was him. Yeah. Come on, dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Crime was so easy. Damn, dude. I would have done anything and everything. All the way up until like the 1980s, you could have got away with every fucking thing. For sure. God damn, yeah. Like no internet, no cameras. Well, even the cameras sucked. Like whenever they started making them, it was just kind of like, do you know this guy? You're like, (laughs) Like, that's not fucking me. I can barely see like TV the right way. Yeah. You were watching VHS like recently? 
Yeah, it looks like shit. Like, what the fuck, man? How did I sit through this? One of the byproducts of the case was a mass of misinformation received from well-meaning but uninformed, highly imaginative individuals and a deluge of letters written by demented persons, publicity speakers, and frauds. It was essential, however, that all possible clues, regardless of the prospect of success, be carefully followed, and it was impossible in the vast majority of instances to determine at the inception whether they would be material or false. Dude, that would have also been a sick move back in the day is to thwart every investigation by being like, I fucking did it. Yeah. I fucked that kid's brains out at this time by myself. My name is General Norman Schwarzkopf. Yeah. God, you can get away with all kinds of ill shit back then, man. Anything and everything, brother. On March 4th, 1932, a con man named Gaston B. Means mm. was approached by Mrs. Evelyn Walsh McLean of Washington, D.C., who felt that she might be of material assistance to Colonel Lindbergh in procuring the return of his child. Mrs. McLean had become acquainted with Means as a result of some investigative work which Means had performed for her husband some years before. Means informed her that he felt certain he could secure a contact with the kidnappers insomuch as he had been invited to participate in a quote-unquote big kidnapping some weeks before, but had declined. Means claimed that his friend was responsible for the Lindbergh kidnapping. The following day, Means reported to Mrs. McLean that he had made a contact with the persons who had the child. He successfully induced Mrs. McLean to hand over to him $100,000 to be used in paying the ransom, which he said had been doubled. Until... April 17, 1932, he kept Mrs. McLean waiting, daily, expecting the return of the child. During this period, he purported to be affecting negotiations with the alleged leader of the kidnappers, whom he called the Fox. Mrs. McLean finally requested the return of the $100,000 and additional money, which she advanced to him for expenses. When he failed to do so, the case was turned over to the FBI Means and the Fox, who was found to be Norman T. Whitaker, a disbarred Washington attorney, were apprehended, and Means was later convicted of embezzlement and larceny after trust. He got sentenced to serve 15 years in a federal penitentiary. Whitaker and Means were later convicted of conspiracy to to defraud and were sentenced to serve two years each in a federal penitentiary. That fucking sucks. But that is a classic move, is when someone's been kidnapped to be like, I've got it under control what you're gonna have to do is give me about a hundred thousand dollars and i'll sort it all out for you and then you get the cash but why wouldn't you just go somewhere else dude with a hundred thousand dollars in 1932 you could have gone to a different country and no one would have ever known shit why are you hanging around and corresponding just bail if you're gonna steal the money get the fuck out it's a great depression man you could go anywhere in the world i bet it's better yeah dude it sucked spain spain would rock yeah dude barcelona Take yeah. a fucking nap every day? That's like the European Mexico, dude. They Is eat, your fucking wings sucked? They were eating butts back then, brother. Oh, yeah. yeah. Spaniards are up to it, dude. Yeah. Columbus was... Spanish. And he rode for the Italians, or was he Italian? No, he was for, Italian. Was he Italian rode for the Spanish? I don't know. Yeah, he took the Spanish Armada. Yeah, he was Italian. Yeah, he was whopping. Yep. Whop the deck. Yep. 
But he rode for Spain, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he went to the Queen of Spain to get, like, their fleet or whatever. I don't know, man. He was up to rape. Can you imagine, like, yeah, rolling yeah. into a new country and just seeing, like, some indigenous pussy and being like, get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> I'm taking it, dude. I don't know if this is India or whatever, but the pussy is nice. Yeah. I'll, I'll have it. Yeah. Weird, man. Listen here, Thunderhawk. I've had your wife. <laughs> I also feel like... You ever, you ever had a conversation with somebody about a lady and be like, I've had her? No, but I've... <laughs> yeah, that's a cool term, right? I've dreamed of it. I have had her. Yeah. I have had her. Columbus had a lot of them, dude. But yeah. Sniz. Sniz. Native Sniz. Native Sniz. He fucked Little Bear, Big Branch, Swift Stream, Hawkwind, Thunderborn, Lightning Snatch. Lightning Snatch was the one, though. Wind Willow, Underfrog. Toddler Torment. Moon Wolf. <laughs> he fucked them all, man. Yeah. He got in it. Oh. Natives are hot, dude. Native women? Yeah. My God. A, a nice Indian lady. and the, But both type of Indian ladies can be real fucking hot, dude. Yeah, dude. I love to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Mia Khalifa? I don't know who that is. The porn star with the glasses? You know everybody. Oh, it's like yeah, the only yeah, porn star yeah, yeah. name I know. This is like the early 2000s. Something like that. Yeah, I remember. Whew. I know. God. Yeah, I know them all. Indians are weird, too, man. Yeah. They always smell good. <laughs> I'd love to bang one, dude. Yeah. They have pro wrestling in India? Oh, yeah, dude. There's like a bunch of. There's a dude. There's a giant guy from India coming to Mountain Pine. He's been in AEW next this month. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hell yeah. Of course, we didn't get a match with him. Some big fat wad got a match with him. Oh, great. Got to bring him along. Hey, hey! if you're listening to this and you live in the area, we are going to do a live pro wrestling event November 12th. Vino's. Where better? You can drink there. You can get wild as hell. Yeah. It's going to be a rated R show. We're going to be shotgunning beers. Getting buzzed. Pouring out beer bongs. Yeah. Beating everybody's fucking ass. Yeah. Ah, It's our time. These Vino shows are going to be fucking awesome. Dude, they're going to be... So let's go. Yeah. Prepare yourself. Bring your pocketbook. November 12th. First one. We got to have a big turnout so we can keep it rolling, dude. What's better than live pro wrestling? Not, dude. You know what, man? If you don't understand how cool it is, just look up Beyond Wrestling. Yeah. Look up GCW. GCW's the one. Standing... Liquor fueled events. It did, and it's everything you guys like. You know, it's just fucking violence, and you know, it's it's definitely gonna be geared towards fucking uh, metal and punk shit, man. Like just fucking DIY 
We're going to run through the fucking crowd. You might get somebody thrown on your ass, man. You might get slapped around. Yeah, if you get out of line. We might take your beer. Yeah, or your woman. We might give you a beer. We might take your kid. I don't want a kid. I don't want. No, I don't want to raise it. What are they, a Lindbergh baby? I'm saying, well, Lindbergh. (laughs) Well, push your soft spot in like my dream, dude. Yeah. That's what we're up to. (laughs) That's what I was getting You bring a baby over there, we might squeeze its fucking spot. Yeah, you, hey. God made that spot soft for a reason. We might do a beer bong out of your kid's soft spot. (laughs) Oh, man. You get powerful after that, dude. Fuck yeah, it's adrenochrome (laughs) and liquor, dude. God, you just mash it in and pour one through it? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, man. That might be the move, dude. Get a baby, push its skull in, pour a beer from the skull to the mouth. Yeah. Maybe we could have like somebody do like a like make us a prop on like a guar type of fucking <laughs> soft spot baby man. We just mash and it we just and like it, dude. give it to somebody in the crowd and be like yeah take this and like protect your kid you know mash it and bong it. If you got food in your hands, I'm slapping it out. Of your oh, hands. it's going, man. <laughs> you better watch a out, dude. Za? If you get a calzone yeah. and you're standing anywhere near me, I'm gonna kick it out of your fat fucking fingers. Fair play. <laughs> Dude, if you got a butterfinger in the crowd, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Butterfinger? Yeah, you're in now. Oh you're, man. Now you're involved. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. So there were also other attempted frauds which required extensive investigations before they could be completely eliminated from consideration in connection with the Lindbergh case. It's a great depression, dude. If you can make money, anyhow, go ahead. Hey, don't fuck around. I stole Lindbergh, baby. Give me $100,000. Did they name the baby? Charles. I mean, did they name the cheese after the baby? No, man, that's Lindberger. I know, but. It's not even close. But if you have the soft spot, it becomes a burger. You age the soft spot? Yeah. You pour goat's milk into the sauce spot and let it ripen yeah Limburger is pretty good i don't think i've ever had it it's nice it stinks it's a it's goat nice. milk cheese yeah yeah i probably would dig it mm-hmm. it's just funky ass goat cheese dude yeah dude man, it's about goat cheese and fruit man rocks I and mean, this one's tangy tang i like a tang man. yeah shit Woo. bring them cheese babies mm. snack it you think tahini would be good on that cheese? Yeah, man. Piece of watermelon, tahini chamoy, and s- some type of funky goat cheese on top of that. Fuck yeah, dude. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. You got the tang, the cream, the spice. That's a the sweetness. system's overload, brother. God, dude. You're hitting all sensories. Yeah, man. Imagine if you could make that a sauce, dude. It's too much, bro. You could put it on a sandwich. Woohoo! Hey. Yo! <laughs> in all, there were literally thousands of leads in all sections of the United States which were followed to their definitive conclusion by the Bureau. The results of all these investigations, no matter how trivial, were reported. The activities of the known and suspected members of the so-called Purple Gang of Detroit, which they're black, dude, black people love purple. Why is that? The pop. Soda? I think they had soda back then. I wasn't talking about that, but yeah. What pop? Just some pops, man. Purple pops? Yeah, just pops on you. They love purple. You take a purple and a fucking neon green, it's popping. Popping. Yeah. 
Good call. Various rumors and allegations concerning this gang were carefully and thoroughly investigated. Numerous registries of boats were examined in a fruitless endeavor to locate the boat Nellie, on which the baby was to have been found according to the 13th and last random note handed to Dr. Condon at the time he paid the ransom money to quote-unquote John. Records of cemetery employees who were employed in various cemeteries in certain sections of New York City near Hopewell, New Jersey, were examined. Information accumulated in various other kidnapping and extortion cases handled by the FBI were examined in close detail and studied with particular reference to any bearing that they might have upon the solution of the Lindbergh case. Hundreds of photographs and descriptive data of known criminals of all types and possible suspects were exhibited to the few eyewitnesses in this case in an endeavor to identify the mysterious John. On May 2, 1933, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York discovered 296 $10 gold certificates and one $20 gold certificate, all Lindbergh ransom notes. These bills were included among the currency received at the Federal Reserve Bank on May 1, 1933, and apparently have been made in one deposit. Immediately upon discovery of these bills, deposit tickets at the Federal Reserve Bank for May 1st, 1933 were examined. One was found bearing the name and address of a J.J. Faulkner, 537 West 149th Street, and had marked thereon gold certificates, $10 and $20, in the amount of $2,980. Despite extensive investigation, the depositor was never located. You could do anything. Yeah. You do whatever you wanted to. No one would ever find out. My name's fucking Gay Jew Fag the Ninth. Nice. And no one would ever know any better. They just think you're European. You don't have an ID. You're loose. Yeah. You're just doing it all. Yeah. I want, I long for those days. Yeah, man. Where I could just be who and what I wanted. Yeah. Without the scrutiny of the internet. That's really, like, everybody thinks that's what you can do now. You can't do shit now. No one thinks that. Yeah, they do. Everybody looks at everything. Yeah. You're never loose anymore. Well, no, you're not loose. Freedom's gone. But you can be whatever you want to be. I mean, yeah, male or female, in between. Yeah, biracial. That's my favorite, man. Yeah, I love that. That's my favorite crime. (laughs) (laughs) It is a crime, for sure. Examination of the ransom notes by handwriting experts resulted in virtually unanimous opinion that all the notes were written by the same person and that the writer was of German nationality, but had spent some time in America. Dr. Condon described John as Scandinavian, and believing he could identify the man, spent considerable time in viewing numerous photographs of possible suspects and known criminals. In his connection, the FBI retained the services of the artist to prepare a portrait of John from descriptions furnished by Dr. Condon and Joseph Perone, the taxicab driver who had delivered one of the ransom notes to Dr. Condon. In a further endeavor to identify the individual who received the ransom payment, representatives of the New York City Bureau Office engaged Dr. Condon to prepare a transcript of all conversations had by him with John on March 12th and April 2nd, 1932, the dates on which Dr. Condon personally contacted the kidnapper in order to negotiate the return of the child and the payment of the ransom. 
These conversations were, during March 1934, transcribed in details on phonograph records by Dr. Condon, who imitated the pronunciations and dialect of John. So he's just doing impressions, dude. He's just like, Yurkin, furkin, gurkin, hurkin, bring me the money to it here. People don't know any better, man. In this manner, the nationality, education, mentality, and character of the kidnapper were more clearly defined and permanently preserved for future use. Another interesting attempt to identify the kidnapper centered around the ladder used in the crime. Police quickly realized that it was crudely built, but built nonetheless by someone familiar with wood, and everyone in this room is familiar with wood, who is mechanically inclined. The ladder had been thoroughly examined for fingerprints and had been exhibited to builders, carpenters, and neighbors of the Lindberghs in vain. Slivers of the ladder even had been analyzed, and the type of wood used in the ladder had been identified. Perhaps a complete examination of the ladder itself by a wood expert. Dude, I know a lot of fucking wood experts, Me man. Too, they man. really know how to get that out. Would yield additional clues. And in early 1933, such an expert was called in. Arthur Kohler of the Forest Service, United States Department of Agriculture, Kohler disassembled the ladder and painstakingly identified the types of wood used and examined tool marks. He also looked at the pattern made by nail holes, for it appeared likely that some wood had been used before in indoor construction. Kohler made field trips to the Lindbergh estate and to factories to trace some of the wood. He summarized his findings in a report and later played a critical role in the trial of the kidnapper. For a period of seven months prior to August 20th, 1934, no gold certificates were discovered except for those received in the Federal Reserve Bank previously mentioned. Starting on August 20th, 1934 and extending into September, a total of 16 gold certificates were discovered, most of them in the vicinity of Yorkville and Harlem. The long-awaited opportunity had finally arrived as each bill was recovered, a colored pen marking the location of the recovered bill was inserted in a large map in the metropolitan area, thus indicating the movements of the individual or individuals who might be passing the ransom money. When the first few made their appearance, it was decided to concentrate on gold certificates as experience had proven the futility of tracing ordinary currency in the ransom money. In keeping with the cooperative policy previously established with the New Jersey State Police Department and the New York Police Department, teams composed of a representative of each of these police agencies and a special agent of the Bureau were organized to personally contact all banks in Greater New York and Westchester County. As a result, the various neighborhood banks discovered the bills close to the point at which they were passed, and it became possible for the investigators to trace the bills to the person who had originally passed them. For the first time in the history of the case, the investigators succeeded in finding the description of the individual passing these bills fit exactly that of John as described by Dr. Condon. It was determined through the investigation that the bills were being passed principally at corner produce stores. About 1.20 p.m. on September 18, 1934, the assistant manager of the Corn Exchange Bank and Trust Company at 125th Street and Park Avenue, New York City, telephoned the New York City Bureau office to advise that a $10 gold certificate had been discovered a few minutes previously by one of the tellers in that bank. It was soon ascertained that the bill had been received at the bank from a gasoline station located at 127th Street and Lexington Avenue, New York City. 
On September 15, 1934, an alert attendant had received a bill in payment for five gallons of gasoline from a man whose description closely fit that of the individual who had passed other bills in recent weeks. The filling station attendant, being suspicious of the $10 gold certificate, recorded on the bill the license number of the automobile driven by the purchaser. This license number was issued to Bruno Richard Hopsman, 1279 East 222nd Street, right in Bronx, New York. Hopman's house was closely surveilled by federal and local authorities throughout the night of September 18, 1934, until at approximately 9 a.m. on September 19, 1934, an individual closely fitting the description of John as supplied by Dr. Condon and the description of the purchaser of the gasoline as supplied by the service station attendant left his house, entered into an automobile parked nearby. He was promptly taken into custody by representatives of the three interested agencies. After some investigating, he was found to be Bruno Richard Hopman. The individual whom the automobile license had been issued, a German carpenter who had been in this country approximately 11 years. A $20 gold ransom certificate was found on his person. His description fitted perfectly of that John described by Dr. Condon, and in his house was a pair of shoes which had been purchased with a $20 ransom bill recovered on September 8, 1934. Hopman admitted several other purchases which had been made with ransom certificates. On the night of September 19, 1934, he was positively identified by Joseph Peroni as the individual from whom he had received the fifth ransom note to be delivered to Dr. Condon. The following day, ransom certificates in excess of $13,000 were found secreted in the garage of Hopman's residence. Shortly thereafter, he was identified by Dr. Condon as John, to whom the ransom had been paid. It was also ascertained that he was in possession of a Dodge Sedan automobile which answered the description of that seen in the vicinity of the Lindbergh home one day prior to the kidnapping. Shortly after his apprehension, specimens of Hopman's handwriting were flown to Washington, D.C., where a study was made of them in an FBI laboratory. A comparison of the writing appearing on the ransom notes with that of specimens disclosed Remarkable similarities and inconspicuous personal characteristics and writing habits, which resulted in a positive identification by handwriting experts of the laboratory. Upon the apprehension of Hopman, it was found that he bore a striking resemblance to the portrait of John which had previously been prepared from descriptions furnished by Dr. Condon and Joseph Peroni. Further investigation developed that Hoffman, 35 years old, was a native of Saxony, Germany. He had a criminal record for robbery and had spent time in prison. Early in July 1923, he stowed away aboard the SS Hanover at Berman, Germany and arrived in the port of New York City on July 13, 1923. He was arrested and deported immediately. After another failed attempt at entry in August, Hopman successfully entered the United States in November 1923 on board the George Washington. Ironic. On October 10, 1925, Hopman married Anna Scoffler, a New York City waitress. Anna Scoffler, a New York City waitress, a son, Mansfried, was born to them in 1933. During his illegal stay in New York City and until the spring of 1932, Hopman followed his occupation of a carpenter. However, 
A short while after March 1st, 1932, the date of the kidnapping, Hoffman began to trade rather extensively in stocks and never worked again. He's making the system work for him, man. Mm-hmm. You get inside the stocks. Hey. Get the crunch kids. And they'll never find you out. Hotman was indicted in the Supreme Court, Brox County, New York, on charges of extortion on September 26, 1934, and on October 8, 1934, in Hunterdon County. He was indicted for murder. Two days later, the governor of the state of New York honored the requisition of the governor of the state of New Jersey for the surrender of Bruno Richard Hotman. On October 18, 1934, he was removed to the Hunterdon County Jail Flemington, New Jersey, to await his trial. The trial of Hopman began on January 3rd, 1935 at Flemington, New Jersey, and lasted five weeks. The case against him was based on circumstantial evidence. Tool marks on the ladder matched tools owned by Hopman. Wood in the ladder was found to match wood used as a flooring in his attic. Dr. Condon's telephone number and address were found scrawled on a doorframe inside a closet. Uh, handwriting on the ransom notes matched samples of Hoffman's handwriting. On February 13, 1935, the jury returned a verdict. Hoffman was guilty of murder in the first degree, the sentence death. The defense appealed. The Supreme Court of the state of New Jersey on October 9, 1935, upheld the verdict of the lower court. Hoffman's appeal to the Supreme Court of the United States was denied on December 9, 1935, and he was electrocuted on January 17, 1936. However, on this same day, the governor of New Jersey granted a 30-day reprieve, and on February 17, 1936, Hoffman was resentenced to be electrocuted during the week of March 30, 1936. On March 30, 1936, the pardon court of the state of New Jersey denied Hoffman's petition for clemency, and on April 3rd, 1936, at 8.47 p.m., he got... Barbecued. Cued his ass up. Hell yeah. What a fucking twisted tale. Hell yeah. Crunching kids, can't do that. Um. Yeah, thank you so much for checking us out. And Oh, you're done? Yeah, we're done, aren't we? Okay. Head on over to patreon.com backslash death metal detectives. Yeah. Uh, five bucks a month brand new patreon episode every two weeks and you know we gotta of course give our homies at uh, beerbongs.com a shout out dmd20 get you fucking is it 20 percent off or 10 percent off 20 percent off and free shipping and free shipping get you a fucking uh shotgun champ get you a goddamn beer bomb my favorite accessory is the shotgun keychain where you can just crunch it Crank Slurp it, it. Slam it. Crank, spank, and then get it in the tank. I mean, it's done in three seconds. What are you waiting on? Um, Let's see what else we got here. We got a Gurgling Gore. 10% off at your final checkout with promo code Gurgling Dicks. Hey. And uh, shout out to Sam T. Uh, Sam T Nation. Fluids. For writing our sick theme song. Yeah. As always. Come here, creamy hole.